Welcome to Notes from the North with Kyle and Sam. Welcome back to Notes from the North, the official podcast of the Vikings Gazette. We're proud to partner with Vikings Territory, Purple PTSD, and Purple Territory Radio. If you're looking for great Vikings coverage, be sure to stop by these sites, and you're always welcome at the Vikings Gazette. With that being said, Kyle, let's get the first down, and I guess probably the biggest news of this week was the schedule release. Um, any particularly notable games that you have seen on this on the schedule? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I so the schedule release. I, I like how the NFL has done this now. Before they would announce it before the draft, and they would kind of um, you know the draft is this massive event. It's you know, and so it's it's it was a big deal before, but it kind of quickly faded into the background to a certain extent because the draft just takes over everything. But now they do it post draft, and I think it actually makes sense because it gives the month of May kind of like a marquee event. And so I, as much as I kind of hate to say it, uh, the NFL actually really made a good decision, I think, on this one. First, in terms of games, I mean, we start off with the Bengals. It should be a win. Week two is the Cardinals. That's going to be, that to me is somewhat evenly matched. I mean, you get two teams in the NFC who could reasonably do well and could pretty reasonably do pretty mediocre. To me, I'm kind of looking at week three and week four as like the first real big tests I'm excited about the Seattle game. It's at U.S. Bank Stadium, which is a big deal because we've played the Seahawks for several years in a row now and is always in Seattle, which, of course, it's just so difficult to play in Seattle. Uh, so, I mean, we've lost. All, I, don't think, I don't think we've beat the Seahawks since Zimmer's been here. We've always been competitive, and we always seem to lose in some sort of heartbreaking fashion. You go back to last season – you know, Alexander Madison missing that giant hole, which would have sealed the win. And then, you know, you had Cameron Dantzler and DK Metcalf, that whole thing, you know, in the last second uh, or the last minute or so, I guess the drive with Russell Wilson. I mean, that was just a horrible way to lose. Right. And that just seems to happen so consistently with us in the Seahawks. If we win in week three against Seattle, that, that to me is the litmus test because they're, they're the team we want to be. They're the team who, for the past 10 years or so, they've had a defensive first head coach. They've gotten to two Super Bowls. They've won one. They go to the, the playoffs almost every year. They're almost always a top team in the conference. Their quarterback is clutch. They don't ask him to do a lot, a lot. He could probably do more, but they don't ask him to do a lot, a lot. And he's usually really excellent whenever he does need to step up. Seattle is who Minnesota wants to be. And so to me, that week three game is the first one. And then, of course, the Cleveland Browns in week four, Kevin Stefanski. And Cleveland's got a good team. Like, they're they're a complete roster. I mean, they are the Browns, and so who knows what they'll end up doing this year. But um, week three and week four, I think, are the first real tests for me. What, yeah, what, do you, what I, kind of stands out to you there? Yeah, well, I was going to say, like, when I saw these first four games, it feels like you you got to hope minimum you go two and two in that, and if not better. Right? Is that would you? Is that fair? I th- I think when I was I was kind of thinking about it. I wasn't even thinking. I was kind of thinking the first six games because we have our bye week, right? Uh, in week seven. So to me, when I was looking at the first six games, I was looking. We need to go at least four and two, right? Okay. Because I think I, I think same. in at least three of those games, you're the clear favorite. So in week one against the Bengals, you're the favorite. Week five, the Lions. Week six, the Panthers. 
So right. those are three games where you say to yourself, okay, right off the hop, we should be beat. We're better than these three teams, no doubt about it. So yeah. therefore, we should beat them. Okay. So that puts us at worst case. In th- I mean, obviously, this is not, neither Sam and I are saying that this is automatic, but we're saying that we're favored to beat these teams. We should beat these teams. Okay. So that should put us at at least three wins. And then you have reasonably tough games against the Cardinals, the Seahawks, and the Browns. To me, you got to get at the very least one of those. Right. Ide- right. Ideally, at least two, right? And you get to four and two, maybe five and one heading into your bye. Because, I mean, last year is the same. It was almost the same setup. You had these initial six weeks. We went into the bye at one and five. Yeah. And we, we, need, we need to flip that around. And you're right. Me- yeah. You're messed at that point. So exactly. I, exactly. I looked it up quickly. Uh, hazard a guess on when the last time that Minnesota actually beat Seattle. Oh, my dear. It was, it was, it was definitely before Zimmer. Um, 2008 2009 2009 so november 22nd is that right i was thinking the last time because i was thinking like the years before zimmer we really weren't very good so i know because so zimmer gets me seven eight years so i was thinking 2009 we were really good so yeah okay that's what i was yeah that was my okay that makes sense that was that was in minnesota so last time they've actually won in seattle is 2006 right (laughs) yeah right they're just they're just one of those teams. They just play us tough. And I, I can't really, ex- I mean, I can explain it. Russell Wilson's a great quarterback. Pete Carroll is a really good head coach. They've done an excellent job over there. They've had, you know, just great teams, right? So, but what I, I can't explain these, we just have these huge errors, right? From the Blair Walsh field goal miss from like 27 yards to just the Alexander Madison thing to the Dantzler thing. Like we just have these errors that, are so peculiar. Um, they should never happen, right? In, in a football field, it's, you know, 99 times out of 100, they go your way. And yet when we play Seattle, it's that one time out of 100. And so to me, that week three game is is huge. I think. Yeah. And I, I like the idea of you breaking it down in terms of like thinking about it in a six game set. Um, yeah. Because I think that regardless, like at the end of the day, if you're four and two coming out of that six week set, even if say the, the two losses, uh, heaven forbid we're against like the lions and the the Bengals. uh mm-hmm. you're still looking at that and you're like okay four and two like that's that's still a success at that point right wow. exactly because and then you come out of the bye right that's where i the, see right exactly like you you want to we can't be behind the sticks coming out of the bye because no. the schedule is so tough right we still got five divisional games coming up and then we get the, we start off in week eight with the cowboys in prime time and then we have the ravens on the road and then we have the Chargers, who I, I really like the Chargers. I think they're a good yeah. team. And then you have the Packers and then the Niners. Like you just have this really difficult schedule uh, yeah. coming out of the bye. And I know week 13, you get a little bit of rest in a sense that you have the Lions, but then you're right back to the Steelers and then the Bears and then the Rams and then the Packers. I mean, the post bye schedule is pretty vicious. It oh. looks, looks to be a really difficult post bye run there. It, it is. I like, I started looking and I was like, kind of looking in two, three game sets. And I just realized that when you look at that period from starting with the Cowboys on, on Halloween yep. going all the way until the 49ers at the end of November there, that's a yep. difficult five game stretch. Exactly. Uh, and then, yeah, you said like there's, there's games after the fact you got the lions still there. Um, but all these teams, like there's a chance I don't like Steelers. Like you said, be a good team. I wonder looking at playing the bears twice late in the season, yeah. I feel like I would much rather have played the Bears early. Me too. I mean, it's it's not just the Bears. I mean, yes, you got week 15, 
and then week 18. But then sandwiched in between that is the Rams, who in all likelihood are going to be a top team in the NFC. And then week 17 is the Packers. So the final four games, you get three division rivals. It's on the road in week 17 against the Packers, which obviously makes it more difficult because then the weather is going to probably favor Green Bay because it's probably going to be pretty nasty. And then, uh, and then, yeah, the Bears. I mean, they're the team. I don't know if maybe maybe even a step above Seattle in terms of the difficulty of of beating Chicago. We we just seem to struggle with those guys so much. Even when they're an average team that season, they just give us all we can handle. And so week fifteen, we've got the Monday Nighter in Chicago, and so to me that that's this is probably about the time where I don't really foresee Minnesota being like, you know, 10 and one, 10 and two or something like that. I, I don't foresee the late schedule being at a point where like the Vikings really don't have to grind it out. If we do make the playoffs, it's probably going to be a grind right until the very end. And so what I'm trying to say is that these games are really going to matter. Uh, and so boys, that's, that's going to be a difficult stretch to end your season. eh? Oh Yeah. No, it's 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 a lot. They're really going to have to. It is. It's. I like. I we were we're talking about this in May, and who knows? Like, who <laughs> yeah, knows that's what's right. what's going to happen? Yeah. Because um, I think yeah, it's, it would be actually interesting just even to listen back and and think about where we're at. Because who knows what happens, right? Like, you get a yeah. couple of injuries on some of these teams, and all of a sudden, the matchup is just not nearly as as severe. Although I think, especially when you look at division rivals the history kind of precedes any really right. like factor of roster construction, right? Like regardless right. of how they're built, you're still right. there. Um, I did find it interesting. I saw uh, Patrick Patterson was mentioning that there's four primetime games, which feels significant considering the past history uh, with the Vikings, or maybe it's not, um, but to have, have four games, you got um, the Cowboys and the Vikings um, you got the Bears and the Vikings, their first matchup. Um, the Steelers and the Packers are all are all primetime games. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the Steelers are a Thursday nighter, um, right? And and then you got two Sunday nighters, and then the Monday nighter against Chicago. And so, to me, I mean, yeah, the Packers and the Bears. I mean, you get the, the division games; those are kind of freebies in a sense. Uh, t- teams always get primetime games against uh against division rivals and then the Steelers and then the Cowboys I mean those are two of your marquee franchises in the in the NFL right and so the NFL always wants to put the Cowboys in front of a national audience right and it could probably similar in a sense to the Steelers you have this you know proud franchise with this long tradition um you know, and, and Minnesota, I mean, we get we got tradition as well. Obviously, we haven't had nearly the success as these other franchises, but um, it is a lot. But I guess, yeah, 17 games, four of which are primetime. I mean, boys of oh boys, Kirk Cousins is going to have plenty of plenty of opportunity to uh, kind of f- further put away that narrative about him not stepping up in primetime, and especially coming down the stretch. You got a Thursday nighter, a Monday nighter, and a Sunday nighter. From week fourteen on, you get three, right, right in those final five games, and so it's uh, it's all going to be right there for Cousins to take. So, oh, and you're really hoping that they're like at that point there. There's a lot to be playing for and a lot to be fighting for. Um, 
I wonder what your what you would have hazarded a guess in terms of what their record would have been before you saw the schedule uh, versus now seeing it. But but first chance, first opportunity, fresh into the schedule release. What would you say your early guesses for a final record? My my early honest guess right now is um, without having done like a, a week by week thinking about it too too much. Uh, my first honest guess is ten and seven. That's kind of where I. Yeah, ten and seven sounds about right to me. Okay, and that that feels very much borderline of getting in. I think with seven teams, um, I think ten and seven should get you there. I mean, it seems like every year you have that sixth seed ends up going to a team who's like, I mean, it was sixteen games up until this year, so it was always like eight and eight or nine and seven. Um, and so 10 and 7, I imagine, will get you that 6 or 7 seed, I suspect. Right. Yeah, that's fair. I think 10 and 7, That I feel like if you're kind of odds makers, I'm, I'm, I don't know what everyone would have it as right now in terms of where, where they're at. But yeah, 10 and 7 seems fair. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to one-up. I'm going 11 and 6. All right. Yeah, yeah I, that's good. I, I think – I feel hopeful, and I, I feel like they're in a good spot. Um, and uh, – and it's so early and and so far away that we'll obviously we'll have to reevaluate once we get to to the end of the off season. And there's still lots to happen, but, mm-hmm. but I'm uh, there's no there's no reason to not be hopeful at this point. So let's, let's <laughs> yeah, go for it. true enough. Yeah, true enough. Uh, do you want to switch over to second down? And and I know last episode we talked about the first three rounds and and talked about the first four picks there. And there are there were several mid to late round picks here. Um, when we move beyond the third round, who would you say should fans be most excited about, or maybe even who are you personally most excited about? Yeah. So we were, uh, before hopping on, we were talking about this a little bit. I don't want to do like a full, um, it'd be tedious to do like a, you know, pick by pick a little opinion bit. Uh, but I'll say of those final picks, I'm most excited about, uh, Janarius Robinson, Emir Smith Marset and Jalen Twyman. And so for Robinson, I'm I'm sure a lot of folks have seen by now Andre Patterson's comments where he talks about him as uh, you know, the player that he really wanted to target. Um, his exact quote, if you go into Sean Borman, we had Sean Borman on our um podcast not long ago. If you go into his Twitter, he's got the quote there. And this is Andre Patterson, who is the defensive line coach and the co-defensive coordinator, and he says, quote, I always find that guy in the draft where I say, man, I'd love to get my hands on this kid and he's the guy. And so to me, that's exciting because, uh, I mean, Patterson, every, every draft he goes in and wants a player is someone who's very fast, very long, very explosive, but just needs a little bit of polish. Right. And that was Daniel Hunter. That was Stephen Weatherly. That was Afidia Denebo. That was all kinds of folks. Everson Griffin, you know, took that next step with Andre Patterson. So he, he just has this history of um, really, he's a wonderful defensive line coach. DJ Wanham was that player last year. Uh, and I know that the draft network, I was just looking back at the piece I put together for TVG, kind of recapping the day three, the draft network actually had Robinson's or 74th ranked prospect, which you're talking about the middle of the third round now, right? Even, you know, relatively close to the front of the third rounds, but they got him, the Vikings got him at 134. So it's pretty good value. 
And they talk about the exact quotes were his immense physical gifts on the fields. He needs help with his immense physical gifts in the field and to help deploy his pass rush plan a little bit quicker. So they just talk about how he has plenty of tools. He's got length, flex, flexibility, rush variety, effort, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So these are all quotes from the draft network write-up. And so to me, that is just the prototypical Vikings defensive end in the middle rounds. Just someone who just has tons and tons of upside who needs a coach to help him to really get to that next level. And that's, man, that's Andre Patterson. And so Janarius Robinson to me is very, very exciting. Is, are there any, when you look at that group, I mean, I got a couple thoughts about Smith, Marset and Twyman, but when you look at that group, is there someone who you're also excited about? Yeah, I would, I was going to say Smith, Marset. I, I, uh, I do feel like there was definitely a significant need for, for wide receiver three. Um, and I know you've, you've got some thoughts on him, so maybe I'll let you go first. Um, before I before I jump in, but I would say that he he's definitely the guy. Like I think that taking taking the chance that they did in terms of drafting some of these guys, like you said, Robinson and uh, Twyman and and others that are on this defensive line are significant. Yeah. That was a that was an issue last last year for sure. Definitely, uh, in, yeah. injuries were a factor, but also yep. people face injuries, and you got to make sure that you're you're ready to go. Totally. Um, Totally. And so I think that the, to to pick up on your point about what Patterson was saying about Robinson, I do think that that is such an undervalued piece of even player development is the idea of having a coach that significantly believes in you and like wants to give you a chance. Like exactly some of these guys, uh, like if a coach actually isn't a huge fan of someone who like the opportunities they get, the positions they're put in place, the development, the belief in that development will impact where they're at. Definitely you plays get, a factor. You get the sense that Patterson like falls in love with these guys, right? Falls in love with these guys who work hard, who want to be great, who want to succeed, who have this potential, um, but for whatever reason, maybe didn't produce a ton in college or um, maybe just like a little bit raw and they need to refine their stuff a little bit more. You get the sense that by the third or fourth round, Patterson is banging the table for these guys. He's just saying, like, we need it. We need to draft this kid. We need to draft this kid. And I, I love that personally. Um, he's not always successful. Like, I can, I can think of draft picks who really haven't worked out super well in the defensive line. But man, oh man, when he hits, when you get a Daniel Hunter in the third round, when you when you get a Fidia Denobo in the seventh round, right? I think Everson Griffin ended up being, it was a fourth round pick. Some of these guys who are just, I, I'm, Odenabo wasn't a Pro Bowl player, but like Griffin was a Pro Bowl guy, right? Like Hunter is an elite defensive end. And so I, I just think it's very, very exciting. And we'll see. I mean, with just when on the defensive line, Twyman to me is exciting. He, he fell all the way to the sixth. And I know there's concerns about his pro day. I was reading that. I think he ran a 5-4-40, which is, very 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 slow it's a 5440 is not good even for a defensive tackle but he put up 40 reps in the bench press which is i mean for context the record all time is 49 reps and so you're i know there's a fairly big difference but 40 reps on the bench press at 225 is an elite number it's five more than what aaron donald did and uh i'm excited about twyman he's going to be a three technique uh, if I'm not mistaken, they're talking about him just getting a little bit slimmer, 
dropping down a little bit to closer to 280. So they're going to be, so the vision for him almost certainly is to be a rotational D tackle, come in on third downs, hopefully be a terror in the pass rush. Uh, getting him in the sixth, similar to getting Robinson in the fourth, just an excellent, excellent pick. Yeah, and I've seen some of those names float around about talking about, oh, how Hunter got him in, uh, like, late in the draft, and, like, is this a comparable player? And I think that that can be helpful, can be, like, it, it, right. I think there's, there's, it can be dangerous, too, I think, sometimes, like, oh, like, yeah, this could be the, the next one, and, and really, who knows, but there is potential, and at this point, that's what you're kind of, you're going off of, this is the... That's it, yeah. Um, yeah. Smith-Marset, where, where are you at with with him and what, what are your thoughts? Right. Well, I see, like, I, I, I disagree, I think with most Vikings fans and that I'm not super concerned about wide receiver three. Um, just cause I think that like, just, in, I, th- I think of it more so as like a whole in terms of like pass catchers. And so Jefferson and Thielen are number one and two pass catchers. But then if Dalvin cooks, my number three pass catcher and Irv Smith jr. Is my number four. I feel very, very, very good about that. Right. And then if someone like Chad Beebe or BC Johnson ends up being my number five, okay, no worries. Like if, if Chad Beebe or BC Johnson are my fifth option, I feel pretty good about my offense. Now I get if there's an injury, then that obviously impacts things. Is it ideal to have a good wide receiver three for when we're in 11 personnel? Absolutely. It is. I just don't think it's as important as I think most folks would insist. That being said, I do like Smith Marset, and that I think he can. Again, I'm not a college expert. I'm not a draft expert. Uh, Smith Marset, though, from what I've read, he's a bit of a burner. I think he he runs really fast, and I think in that uh, that wide receiver three role, that's probably what you want someone who can comp. Because I mean, Thielen and Jefferson, they can go deep and they can succeed going deep. But generally speaking, these are guys who are short and intermediate. They can work out of the slot. Uh, and so for me, I want someone who can line up on the outside and take the top off the defense. And if Smith-Marset can do that, I think that can complement really what uh, the rest of the offense is doing, right? Yeah. Well, and I like that was interesting because I did think about that. But I also, my first reaction, even just what I saw from how he was used in college, was actually some of these jet sweep plays or these right. wide receiver screens. And I noticed that, that really wasn't a part of the Minnesota Vikings offense. Um, and I don't know what your thoughts are on that. It does feel like those are often plays that um, can be really productive and, and almost feel like sometimes like they can be an easy five yards at right. times. And it felt at time, like with the Vikings, like you got Dalvin Cook who can really run and you got some of these throws to Jefferson and Thielen who are, you're saying these short intermediate throws it felt like they had to work a lot on offense to really do this. And some of these plays, I just, I don't know. I, from watching other games, I feel like um, being able to get someone like him in motion and, and getting him to the ball early and letting yeah. him use his speed feels like a dynamic that could be added to the offense that could be really helpful. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, in, in the past, Coop uh, has, and I recognize that Gary Kubiak has now retired. It's now his son. Um, but it's gonna be the same offense. It's gonna be the same sort of style. I guess neither Sam and I, nor anybody for that matter, could say with any certainty how Clint Kubiak is gonna differ. Maybe that means more jet sweeps. Maybe that means more wide receiver screens. Maybe that means more of this style where you try and 
get the mo- uh, you know the offense or the defense rather moving um, more side to side, and then maybe trying to yeah some of these easy plays, relatively speaking, to pick up those five, six, seven, eight yards, and then in some instances a lot more if everything kind of breaks out and and goes well. The one thing I'll say about that is, so every everything I mean, we talk about this all the time, everything on footballs, it's all interconnected. So if you threaten, if you can threaten a team deep, if they have to respect the fact that they can hit this guy in stride, maybe it's not even Smith Marset, maybe it's Thielen Jefferson, maybe you burn them deep two, three, four times, they therefore have to defend, right, and respect that area of the field. And therefore, it's much easier to succeed on those, you know, short passes and the end rounds and those because there's there's less bodies around the line of scrimmage. And so, um, in a sense, counterintuitively, if you can go deep, then you can do those things more. And if you can do those things more, then you can go deep more. But, you know, so it's always you're always trying to play with the defense and because uh, there's just no there's no such thing as a defense that can defend everything. It just doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. And so the more an offense can do and the more unpredictable they can be and the more areas of the field they can attack, that just makes it so much more difficult, I think, for any defense. Yeah, it, it, for me, I was like, it, it may, that makes a lot of sense. And I, like, I obviously know that there's like, that was just that observation was from limited knowledge. But I also know, like, it's easy to watch someone like the Kansas City Chiefs and they're doing these things yep. and you're like, oh man, like yep. five, six yards at a time, like yeah defense just this seems so easy and unstoppable but it's because you got someone like Tyreek Hill that can absolutely burn you whenever he yeah. <laughs> feels like sometimes like whenever he wants to um yeah. and so yeah it it for sure there's some dynamics but I do feel like if they could add um adding some more of the like adding being able to add speed to that offense feels yeah. significant um and not that he's I don't, not that he's comparable to Percy Harvin but like someone like that who is dynamic and yep. when you get the ball into his hands can can make up a lot of yards and and get out quick and and yeah like you said gets the defense moving side to side feels like a good ad um last last uh pick that you want to talk about from the from the mid to late rounds i think for, uh, only thing i'll add from there so i, I like twyman i like robinson i like smith marset um I don't think the tight end, I don't think Davidson's, I think you're probably talking about a practice squad guy. I mean, Bynum hopefully is, is good depth and the running back hopefully can help on special teams. I mean, Smith Marset and the running back, we'll see. Um, We really need help on special teams. And so hopefully one of those two can be a great returner. Yeah. And I know that there's been some additions and and this week we won't cover the, the uh, undrafted players there has been some some moves there that yeah. could impact. I know it's like even just at the kicker position and, and that. Uh, I did find the Davidson pick, uh, a tight end slash punter, a real fast moment. I know, it's so strange. <laughs> One of those things where it's like, uh, like it sounds like he's an elite athlete and obviously it's good to have right. guys around like that. Uh, it kind of feels like if you're good at two things, you might not be great at one thing. Exactly, uh, exactly. But maybe... Who knows? Maybe, maybe he is. Um, I, I feel like it's never a bad thing to have dynamic guys like that on your team. Like you said, if it's a practice squad guy that can come in and yeah. uh, punter gets hurt, then maybe you get someone that's out there that can actually kick more than 15 yards down the field. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. But right. Uh, 
at that point you're you got you got some darts to throw and maybe it's a, a good guy to add yeah uh, transition to third down and there was a minor trade this week uh with mike hughes being dealt the the first round pick from 2018 traded to kansas city not a whole lot of return swapping a, a they get a six round pick in return and, and send a seventh out the door what do you think of the deal so uh, the one thing I'll say, so initially I was looking at it and saying to myself, gosh, so you're sending Hughes in a seventh and then you're getting a sixth in return. Kansas City in all likelihood is going to be a top team in the NFL, which means they're going to be picking at the end of a round. And so you're probably talking about, you know, maybe gaining 10, 20, 25 picks. I was seeing that Ben Gosling, he tweeted that Kansas City apparently has two sixth round picks and it'll be uh, so the Vikings will get the sixth round pick that ends up being higher. So whichever one ends up being higher in the round. And so I suppose there's potential that we gained, you know, 30, 40, 50 uh, spots, right? And so I guess, I guess that is, it's more significant than what I initially was seeing, even still to see Mike Hughes, who's only 24 years old, who obviously the team really liked, you know, relatively recently, 2018, hard to believe 2018 is three years ago, Um but they obviously felt really good about him because they drafted him in the first round. And so it was surprising in a lot of ways. Um, it wasn't surprising that they declined his fifth year option. There's just no way at this point that he demands that expensive of a contract in his fifth year. But I thought for sure that he'd be brought back as depth. Um, I suppose I was wrong on that one. Uh, I feel bad. You know, he's only been able to play in 24 or 48 games because of injury. And so I feel a little bit bad. Sometimes it's, you know, it's easy to say oh, this dude's a bust. But gosh, you know, it's 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 tough, right? Like he's, he's a young guy who just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And I know that when he has been healthy, he's really hasn't played that well. All things considered, he's at best been average. But I think in reality, he's been a below average corner so far in the NFL. And so it's it's disappointing, but I think the upside is that the Vikings gain a little bit of, you know, more more cap room now. And you're talking about they still have like around six million dollars even after I think signing their draft class. And then you got close to eight million dollars coming as of June one when uh, when the Kyle Rudolph uh, transaction, like cutting Kyle Rudolph, actually hits the cap. And so you're talking now mid-teens getting close to mid-teens of cap space that is a ton of money to uh to have at this point in the off season especially within the context of the COVID cap so it's it's wild it's just wild to think that they they've been as as active as they have been they've done as much as they have you know and they're able to still kind of work it a little bit trade away Mike Hughes and uh, contribute to what is a relatively substantial amount of money that they may be able to use to maybe bring in a corner, right? Or maybe bring in another lineman. I, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, but you got to think to me, I don't know, Sam, how you were thinking about this, but this must, this must be about uh, the next move rather than, I mean, you're not trading away Mike Hughes at this point just for those extra draft slots, uh, you know, moving up in the next draft, you're, you're you're trading him. To my mind, you must be trading him because you're saying, okay, we get a little bit more financial flexibility, so we can make moves X and Y. Is that what you think? Or 
Yeah, like I, I, I think that's the thing, right? Like you can see this draft is there's two two factors to it. There's the improved draft pick, which, like you said, it, it could range from um, just moving up a few slots to actually yeah. Yeah. Uh, a significant increase. And I like to me that's it's nice on paper, but at that point, you see that the way that teams pick in those rounds, like they they've got guys that they they just want to get, um, and so I don't like. I see minimal value there, but I do think that the cap space is a little bit more significant. And yep. the way that they are right now, it's funny to be saying this with where we were at before the season ended and everyone was concerned about the cap issues, but they've got enough money <laughs> yeah. where, which yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, um, it's almost as if there's some professionals that know what they're doing and they've got a job <laughs> to be able to, you, to take yeah, care that's... of this. That's right. Exactly. You almost think this is their entire career and they've done this for decades. It's almost like as if their full-time job is to manage this where right. our right. job as fans is maybe just to sit and <laughs> yeah, exactly. the process a little bit. Um, yeah. But they've got the money they're dealing with now is not, uh, it's not wiggle room cap space kind of money. It's, it's go and add someone money. Precisely. Precisely. And I mean, that's exactly right. Yeah. So they're if if they don't do anything, I'm like, okay, that what what were we doing here? Right. But again, this is the problem: is when you look at trades in a vacuum, you're like, oh, I don't know. And and like you said, this is a young player, maybe a little bit early to give up on them. But when we see the domino effect, it's not just Mike Hughes uh, for a, a pick swap, but it's Mike Hughes and removing that cap hit, which will right. allow for us to get a player that and and spend an extra one point five or one point three or whatever the number is right. um, on on someone to improve. And at this point, I don't think you're looking to continue to have a bunch of like what's the point of having someone that's that's on that average below average kind of position. Right. when you could just spend a little bit more money and actually get someone that's going to be a positive contributor and can be a, maybe a difference maker on the, on the defensive end. You know, I think that's fair. And I, I think, you know, the guys over at the athletic Chad Graff and Arif Hassan, if I'm not mistaken, you know, they've pointed out that Minnesota's tendency seems to be, it's a, it's a three strikes and you're out. Um, so they do their darndest to give their picks the three years. And it's a little different, obviously, if you're, you know, being a second round pick or first round pick is different than being a seventh round pick. I mean, a lot of seventh rounders just, you know, never make it. But for some of the higher end guys, even through the mid rounds, it tends to be three years. And that's kind of your window to show Minnesota's leadership, show the coaching staff, show the front office, you know, hey, I I, I deserve to be here, right? I, I, I help this team. And if you can't do it in those three years, um, they tend to be very, very willing to move on. And I think that's that lines up almost perfectly with what you're seeing right now with, with the Hughes situation. And so, yeah, three years, it really didn't work out. They moved on from him. The value they get in return is ideally, I guess, 40, 50 draft slots higher and uh, a little bit extra money that ideally they can use to improve the roster somehow, whether it's a corner or somewhere else. It, it doesn't matter to me. Just use the money's only good insofar as it, you know, leads to impact players, right? And so there's, who cares what having money if you don't actually have, you know, good players for that money. And so hopefully they 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 make a move here at some point 
Yeah, like I, I kind of assumed that they would be on the defensive end, but but who knows? Like, right, there is the possibility of of doing anywhere. Like, really, at this point, you're just looking for improvements anywhere that's that exactly, could happen. That's exactly right. Yeah, um, exactly. Just in in concluding here, it's not related to the Vikings, but I think it is something that's interesting to football fans. And I don't know, do you have any opinion on Tim Tebow and and this news his his next comeback to uh, to the NFL? I'm thrilled. Like I, I just, I know it's people are going to disagree with me and stuff. Like, so Sam and I are both believers. We're both Christians. We share the same faith as Tebow. And so I think that I'm probably biased toward Tebow. Like I, I, I'm inclined to cheer for him. Um, I don't, I don't even know. I, I just, I, I like him. And I got to say, like, I, I saw Matthew Barry, the ESPN fantasy guy, he made a post on Facebook where he said, I think I'm pretty sure it was Barry who was saying that like, he just respects the fact that after all these years, like Tebow has, he could just kind of fade into the background. He's got tons and tons of money. He get into the, all kinds of media jobs. He could live just like a totally easy life and never put himself out there. Never try, never risk anything. And that would be like, he'd be totally fine. Right. Like, and that'd be, he could live an amazing life doing that. Instead, after all these years, he's putting himself back out there. He's chasing it. He may very well end up doing horribly and may end up failing, but dude's going for it. And you got to respect that. And so to me, I I love the fact that he's uh, back in the NFL. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I I do too. I, I've always loved it. I was actually, I had a memory that popped up on Facebook a few weeks ago when he signed with Philly um years ago and i joked that the super bowl was coming to philly and it ended up not actually happening i like we were saying this that um off the pot earlier like the idea of switching positions and going to tight end makes a lot more sense than his whole attempt at at the baseball thing yeah like for him to be like he's a a football player this is a, a talented player an athletic player right someone that shouldn't be throwing the ball um right like I think maybe, we, maybe on trick plays, like, you think trick doing, plays. like he can be kind of your Swiss army knife and maybe he, on trick plays here and there, he could do stuff like that. He can throw the ball twice. Like we will <laughs> yeah, give him right. two, two throws right. this year. Right. I, I even watching that, um, the, the overtime pass that he had to Thomas, like watching uh, that ball wobble in there. Exactly. Uh, That's what I'm I was like, just against like, Pittsburgh. I was just thinking that. Yeah. I was like, okay. Like he got the ball there. So he did, he did throw it and like, like, you know what he played quarterback at the NFL level like way more than any of us will ever be able to say yeah um, exactly but I am absolutely cheering for him like I and I think for someone like Jacksonville like to have some kind of buzz and to make this happen like you know what all the power to them if he plays on the field I will be absolutely watching yeah. um who knows I I I like my my expectation is quite low in terms of actually him ever seeing the field again in an NFL game, but I, I, I hope okay. Surprises. So here, so here it is. So Sam, are you are you predicting he doesn't make it? Make do you, do you think he'll make the final roster and get on the field? Oh man, like what are we like? I I, I guess this this is the thing of like I would put his cap at playing like three plays for the whole season or like per for, game for the whole. I, I, I don't know. I like I. I could see him. I don't know. I. I. I hate to be the pessimist, like not actually believing. No, no, be it. Be it. You're usually the optimist. So let's okay, I don't. I don't see around. him. I don't. 
If he plays more than three plays all season, I'll be shocked. All right. Um, put me in then. He's going to be – I think he's actually going to make uh, Jacksonville's roster and actually suit up on game days. I think he's going to be – now, I'm combining special teams in this because I think with his builds, he could end up being an excellent – like he's – okay, so it's like, like Sam was saying, does it make more sense for him to go to tight end than baseball? Of course. Like if you see this guy in person – and someone says, yeah, this guy's an NFL tight end. You'd be like, yeah, I, I could believe that. Like, dude is built. He's a big, strong guy. And so, which doesn't mean he can be an NFL tight end. There's, there's more to it than just being big and strong. I get that. But he's a Heisman winner. He's played, you know, elite college football, and he's played in the NFL. I think he makes the team, and not only that, that he plays like 10 to 15 snaps a game. As a, as a backup tight end who ends up being a bit of a Swiss Army knife, who can do different things on offense and who can contribute on special teams makes the team 10 to 15 snaps a game. Tim Tebow. Wow. That's I my guess. That. I That's like that, that I like, I, that I wish that was my answer, but it's not, I just can't, I just, like, I can't, I don't buy it right now. We're like, going to find out. He's actually like realizing how old he is. Um, I know he's like, not he's, young anymore. Eh? He's not, he's not a young man anymore. Um, yeah. So it's like, do I don't know. Like, wait, he, uh, the one thing I'll say about that, and this is maybe it, it's true. He's not like, he's not 22, but most guys, his age in the NFL have a lot more wear and tear on their bodies than Tebow does. Like I imagine his yeah. hips, his back, his knees are in better shape than most guys, his age. Cause he hasn't been, you know what I mean? Like hasn't been in the trenches, uh, getting hit like crazy. Uh, baseball is a lot easier on your body. Yeah, for sure. He he's going to be thirty four by the time the season starts. Wow. Okay, I thought thirty one or thirty two. I, I, really I thought he was thirty one, so I looked it up. Is is at least uh, Wikipedia the, the source of all knowledge? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It says tw- August fourteenth, nineteen eighty seven. Wow. Okay. And like, which is actually kind of funny because we're we're younger than that, but not a whole lot younger, and it's kind of sad to see these people that that or like oh wow they're like yeah right we're getting old and it's like yeah, yeah. that means we're getting old too um yeah. Yeah. so i yeah you know what i i am this is a win-win in the sense of like i'm hoping uh that uh you're right over me but i i don't know i just can't see it all right okay um, well, we're gonna we're gonna find out yeah well we're gonna wrap up um quickly here but we we did want to provide a quick wild update since they are into the playoffs uh, they, they've clinched. They, we know their first round opponent. We know they're going to be playing Vegas. And honestly, like, I don't know if I've actually been able to convey, I don't know if I've been upfront enough of like how good this Minnesota team is. Like, I think that their division in terms of top talent versus bottom talent is the, like they, they got to feed on some bottom teams this year. And, and mm-hmm. that was definitely easy. I know that their strength of schedule, um, that from from what it says on on hockey reference is 20th out of 31 um i like looking at their the opponents and the teams that they played this year um it was it's good thing they didn't play colorado they they were they went 3 and 5 against colorado and they got beat mm-hmm. up by the blues but yeah. against vegas they were 5-1 and 2 so 5 wins one loss and two overtime losses really um, which is wow. pretty significant and i i definitely think they match up better against vegas I have seen more than one bracket of people that aren't Minnesota wild fans, but are, that are people within the Minnesota or within hockey media pick the Minnesota wild to win the cup. And I think that that is maybe a little to win bit the of, cup. 
Yeah, which I think is a oh, little wow. bit of this like humorous take of like, oh, here's this up and coming. I don't even know if I can call it an up and coming team, but here's this fun team that was boring all the time and now have surprised people and are are actually better than we think they were. And right. so I think it's it maybe a little bit more of like a humorous stretch, but I all season I think have been saying, you know what, it's it's Vegas and Colorado's like that we as a hockey fan, you're definitely hoping for that to be the round two. Yeah. But as a Minnesota wild advocate, I think that there's, I, I, I actually think that they have a strong chance to really make a series out of this Vegas series. I'm still, I would still put my money on Vegas, but yeah, it would be fantastic for them to, for them to, for them to do it. I think Vegas will win in the end because Vegas is a great team. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Minnesota is still not quite there yet. If they can take, if they, if they can make a long series out of this and and take them to six or seven games, that's a win to me. That 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 that's a win for the Wild. Yeah, I think as an outside observer, I think it's a win. I don't know if a Minnesota Wild fan would view it as a win. Right. Um, yeah. Sure. Sure. They're in this weird spot, and even I know, and we'll talk about it on another time because there's there's still lots of time to come before the off season. But I know that there is some talk of Eichel going to Minnesota. And, I saw, uh, Every fan base is talking about Eichel going to their team. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I was listening to a Leaf podcast yesterday, and they were talking about Eichel. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Okay, so like, yeah, let's, right. let's let's chill here. But but yeah. reputable people talking about him going to Minnesota, and I yeah. I just think that the you got to figure out a little bit where the team's at. But I uh, you know what I would love for them to be a team that surprises and goes and and actually does some uh, significant damage in the playoffs. And if like yeah. if they were able to make it out of the 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 their division and get to that final four then like that would be just an absolute riot uh, yep and outside of the Leafs, i i would definitely be cheering for them fair enough i uh okay so then what are your do you have a we've been doing all kinds of predictions this this episode here let's finish it off with one more before uh we send the listeners off what's your stanley cup prediction who Who's going to play in the finals and uh, who's going to win? So I've been criticized by a couple of friends about just not actually like having belief in my, in my team. Um, <laughs> and as a Leafs fan, I, I feel, I don't, I feel like we've just been a tortured fan base. And I feel like almost every fan base actually probably feels like they've been tortured in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been a, it's been a long road. When I yeah. filled out my bracket, I have the Boston Bruins and the Toronto Maple Leafs making it to the finals with the Leafs winning the cup. <laughs> do, do I believe that? <laughs> I, I can't. I can't let myself get there. I love but, that. But I am going for it. And, like, as a Leaf fan, that would be, like, I could, like, I don't know. I, like, I, as I'm talking about, I'm flustered because it would be so exciting not only to win the cup, but to beat the Bruins. Like if the Leafs sucked and didn't win a game and like their franchise somehow like disbanded for the rest of life and did it, like if they could go and out and do that, I don't like, I don't even care. Like that would be an ultimate goal. And I would ride that to my grave. Um, I would, I would love that for the next 60 years. Um, So yeah, I like, I, I, I'm picking the Leafs. I want to like, my gut tells me like pick another team to like save some credibility, but at that point, then it's, it's that I think that even is just a decrease in credibility. So, yeah, right. That's my that's my pick. There's a lot of teams I believe are better, but but 
Yeah. Yeah. It's um. Give me, give me the lightning. I'm, yeah. I'm picking. I'm picking Tampa. I just, I just think they're an excellent team, top to bottom. I, I think Tampa Bay is gonna gonna win. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I'll, I'm at. I'll, I'll I'll be a chicken and throw it that whoever makes it out of the out of Minnesota's division. Um, will be my 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 dark horse, although it's probably actually the least of the dark horse. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. But whoever makes it out of that division um, will be my my backup answer. But yeah, fair enough. Oh, anyways, we yeah, thank you all for listening. It's been it's been fun. It's been a good run. It's been a, a little bit of a longer episode, but it's been mm. it's been great. But be sure to stop by the vikingsgazette.com for your Minnesota Mike or Vikings news commentary and analysis. The Vikings Gazette can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Vikings Gazette. And we will talk with you all in a couple weeks. Thank you.